Hi, you're listening to 10-Minute IS Paper. My name is Blair Wang. Today's paper is called Virtually in this Together, How Web Conferencing Systems Enabled a New Virtual Togetherness During the COVID-19 Crisis by Janine Hacker, Jan von Brocke, Joshua Handali, Marcus Otto, and Johann Schneider. Published in the European Journal of Information Systems in 2020. Imagine if you could go back in time to the 1960s. According to this paper, the 1960s is when we, as humanity, had our first picture phones. So imagine if you could go back to the 1960s and say to everyone there, this technology is going to be really important for a lot of different reasons, but one of them being that in, oh, I don't know, 80 years from now, there's going to be a global pandemic. It's going to be awful. It's going to really disrupt societies and economies. But because of this picture phone that you folks are now playing with, the year 2020, though awful, doesn't have to be as awful as it could have been. Well, folks, we are in 2020 right now, and we do have our picture phones. There's a good chance that if you're listening to a podcast like this, at some stage this year, you've used either Zoom or Microsoft Teams or WebEx or Google Chat or some other telecommunications program, some other web conferencing system. This paper here asks a lot of questions that I've been asking myself and I think a lot of us have been asking ourselves. In what ways are people using this video calling technology? What good things are happening? But also, what are the limitations? What are the problems? That's what this paper is about. And so it's about the affordances and constraints, as the authors put it, of these web conferencing systems. So in order to figure out the affordances and constraints, the authors had a look at what people are saying about various web conferencing systems like Zoom and WebEx and Teams, etc. on Twitter. And so by gathering heaps of people's tweets about these things and having a look at the different themes that are present, the authors have come up with five affordances that they can see in that dataset. Summarized in table one and uh, enumerated as follows. Number one, communicating with social groups. Number two, engaging in shared social activities with family and friends. Number three, attending events. Number four, pursuing hobbies. And number five, consuming non-recreational services. So for each of these, what I'd like to do is talk about what I guess to me seems fairly straightforward and almost expected and also what was unexpected. So for the first one, communicating with social groups. What I guess is fairly straightforward is that, yes, as the pandemic set in and as we had to go into lockdown, people wanted to maintain the day-to-day relationships that they were already having. But what was unexpected and is highlighted in the paper here is that people were also reconnecting with old friends, or I think the wording in the paper is a bit better. What they say is uh, reaching out to geographically distant old friends using web conferencing systems as geographically proximate friends when contact restrictions are in place. So in other words, actually making the world a smaller place because whereas previously, essentially by convenience, there are people that were more likely to socialize with locally, but now the local and the global are equally accessible. Okay, so the second affordance is engaging in shared social activities with family and friends, social events like birthday parties, watching the movies together, hanging out together, all these fun things. There's a strong desire to recreate this. 
that's fairly straightforward. But what was uh, more interesting or unexpected for me is the commentary around these things, but in relation to traditions, in relation especially to cultural or religious occasions, which have to be creatively reimagined. And so they give the example of the Jewish festival Passover, and often things that have traditionally been defined very much in terms of location dependence. The classic traveling home for the holidays kind of situation. And interestingly, because the actual traveling part is unnecessary, what the authors say here is being forced into technology-mediated interactions because of social distancing meant that people were more in touch than they would have been otherwise because you don't have to travel, that it's just a click away. And because it's now the norm that this is happening on Zoom or on whatever web conferencing system, it's in some ways harder to be forced to miss out just because you can't travel. No one can travel anyway, so in that sense, there's a level playing field. Now, the third affordance is attending events. What was straightforward is that, yeah, a lot of the uh, events, not just the social activities with family and friends, but regular events, uh, whether work-related or, or related to personal interests, sometimes paid events like uh, concerts. Yeah, people have to reimagine these and they have to bring them online. But what was interesting to me is the authors kind of uh, tracked the discussion of these things relative to the day of the week. There's some incredible graphs on table two. And there's this kind of weekly rhythm that they start to see peaking on Sundays. People still have a sense of weekly rhythm. And this is especially the case, actually, again, with cultural and religious groups. Um, the example of church comes up here, especially sort of during the Easter period. And you could see in the charts here, like spikes due to something that happens weekly, like a church or uh, like any other religious event. So in some ways, things happening on these web conferencing systems is able to maintain that sense of routine and tradition. Affordance number four, pursuing hobbies. Again, this is something that I guess we could foresee, you know, uh, that people may no longer be able to go to that in-person yoga class. So now there's a yoga class on Zoom or teams or whatever some web conferencing system for this one the unexpected or surprising finding to me is uh, something i never really thought about that much before but kind of like what if your hobby is something that like it's a contact sport like what if your hobby is soccer uh, how do you how do you bring that online and so what they the authors discovered here is that uh, for example members of that kind of sports club they might just uh, they might just have a weekly online chat they don't actually attempt to recreate the experience of soccer but at least they can stay connected to the people that they have this shared history and relationship with. Affordance number five, consuming non-recreational services. Um, so what they're talking about here are training sessions, uh, online counseling, webinars, and so on. Again, probably fairly uh, expected or straightforward. These things are going to go online during COVID-19. But what was interesting here, and in hindsight, you could probably see this coming in a way, some of these services in any case needed to ramp up during the pandemic, especially health advice and career advice to deal with the health crisis and the economic crisis respectively. Exactly at the time when we needed to ramp them up, we could because the technology here allows them to, to scale up a bit. At least when people needed these things more, now all of a sudden we can make them accessible to people virtually. But there are also, of course, uh, constraints. There are also five of those as well. And they are, number one, lacking features and competencies. Number two, having a fear of being on camera. Number three, having to always be on. Constraint number four, exposing one's private living space. And constraint number five, lacking security. So this is where a lot of the difficulties really start to come through trying to figure out how to do things, or in fact, that those features aren't actually available in the software yet. This is where the paper talks about this concept of Zoom fatigue. And 
having to be watched all the time, it really does remind me of a lot of that discussion of the panopticon and the hotopticon monitoring yourself so you look good enough, um, exposing your personal space at home because you are in lockdown and you are having to do all of this from home. And of course, this is also where we talk about the security issues like Zoom bombing and all the other things that come with masses of people and including people who may not have a background using this kind of technology, having to suddenly move their lives onto Zoom or Teams or what have you. And this is why the paper really shines, not just in telling a story about this one situation with teleconferencing and the pandemic, but moving forward from all of this, how do we deal with the issues of sustainability, especially if this kind of remote work is here to stay even post the pandemic? How do we overcome a lot of these issues that range from just societal norms and expectations, but also is it a matter of designing these systems more appropriately, especially since they weren't designed to cope with this kind of thing? Is it a matter of redesigning the overall experience entirely? One of the things that the paper talks about in Table 6 in the research agenda, which I find fascinating, is how do you facilitate the kind of multiple one-on-one conversations that happen spontaneously at something like a traditional academic conference, that kind of serendipity of meeting people where you don't quite want to broadcast it to everyone in the room, but also you don't want to remain silent as well. So I think living through COVID-19 and having a lived experience of this is one thing and the paper summarizing that experience, but it's quite another thing for the, the really big contribution here. How do we move forward? Not just looking back at everything we've experienced this year, but looking forward to a better future, whatever it happens to be, in relation to web conferencing systems and togetherness. This has been an episode of 10 Minute IS Paper. Thanks for listening. The music on this podcast is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod and generously licensed under Creative Commons. You can find out more about this podcast at www.tmisp.org and you can reach out to me, Blair Wang, at www.blair.wang.